<laughs> so um, I, uh, I got to listen to the messages while I was gone. Way to go, Eric. I just really appreciated that um, you invested the time and to hear the Holy Spirit and to lead well. You did a great job. Was there worship while you were gone? Somebody else led worship? Wow, that's pretty cool. Way to go. Anyway, so so anyway, thank you for, for leading while I was gone. You did, I heard you did a great job. I heard good things about it. So here's the deal. You know, I like to start services any time I teach. I like to have, at the very beginning of the message, a proverb. You expect that by now, right? Okay, so I'm going to fess up about this. First, I'm going to give you the proverb. Um, today's proverb is, today's a third, right? You got that. So today's going to be, it's come out of, Chapter 3, verse 33b. But he blesses the home of the just. In case you have any questions about that, he blesses the home of the just. Now, but here's the fessing up part. You can leave that up for a minute if you want. Um, I did probably three quarters of the preparation for today's message uh, before we decided, before we left for vacation. And I don't know what happened. I was doing my preparation time and so forth, and I always start by, by spending time in Proverbs for that date, for the date that I'm going to preach. And so I went and I did it, and I was pretty happy with what I chose. I really felt like, oh, this is the Lord speaking here. This is going to be a good proverb. And did the message. We went on vacation, and last night I said, hey, honey, would you do me a favor and proofread the sermon slides that, that go up during the service? She said, of course, that's what she always does. So you have no idea how many mistakes are in there until she gets her hands on it. She fixes it. She's, she does a great job with that. So she comes to me last night, and uh, I'm kind of, you know, at this point I'm trying to relax. About just before bedtime, she says, hey, um, where's your proverb? I said, it's right there. It's right there, honey. Just open your eyes. You'll see it. You guys ever tried that? She goes, uh, well, there's a psalm here, but there's no proverb. <laughs> what? I now owe her 10. Anyway, so... Um, <laughs> So there's a, there's a psalm here, but not a proverb. And I thought, what? Really? And um, she pointed out to me that I had picked something out of Psalm 3. So you're going to get another one here. But, but, but here's what I wanted to say in preceding this. I thought, oh, how did I do that? How did I do that? And it, it was just a human mistake. Failure on my part, perhaps. So I said, okay, um, I'll go back in, I'll spend some time, and I'll sort this out, and I'll come up with the, with the appropriate proverb, which you've already got now. And as I sat down in my study at home and at my computer to get into this, I really had a major league check by the Lord. It's kind of like, I mean, I used to play basketball. I'm not such a basketball player anymore, but I mean, a check where, you know, you go up to take a shot, and somebody gets up there and goes wham and blocks the shot and just about takes your head off on the way by. wasn't quite like that, but it was close. Do any of you play basketball? Do you know what I'm talking about? Okay, so, um, <laughs> so I was going to remove this psalm. And the Holy Spirit said, no, no, you're not. You think you made a mistake. And I just sat there for a while, and I, and I knew, I knew something in my bones that this particular psalm the Lord inserted this into the message weeks ago by way of my mistake, I think, what I thought was a mistake, because the Lord wants to minister prophetically here. This is a powerful word for someone. I don't know who. I think maybe more than one. But let your spirit come to attention, to a place of tenderness, to the possibility that the Lord 
plotted for you to be here today to minister this hopeful thing to you. So here's, here's um, the original proverb out of Psalm. Psalm 3, verses 2 and 3. This was something I apprehended weeks ago for today. Many are saying about me, God won't rescue him. But Lord, you are my shield, my wonderful God, who gives me courage. Okay, that just needs to get down in wherever it needs to go. Lord, I just am so grateful for your loving plan that you knew today who would be sitting in this room way before we did. And you, by by heaven's choice, chose to have that scripture shared. I just... I just declined to believe that it was a mistake. I just know, Lord, that you had something tender and loving and promise-filled that you wanted to jam down into a soul here. Let it get down there, Lord, and let it be rooted. I pray against anything that hell would come later and say, oh, did God really say? Or the, the, the same lie that started in the garden. I pray against that and ask, Lord, for the, the ground where this, this psalm has landed, Lord, to be fertile and protected by your spirit. Let it produce the fruit that it's intended to produce there in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. 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 Okay. So today um, is the last in a series that I've been doing on um, forgotten moral strength. You know, we've talked, if you remember, it's been a while, uh, we talked about the forgotten moral strength of honor, about gratitude and loyalty. We talked about a few things. I'm not going to re-preach any of those. We talked about the fact that respect is earned. But honor is given. You give honor according to the office. Entitlement is the opposite of gratitude. It's the opposite of gratitude. And uh, we decided that what we were going to do is we were going to cultivate an attitude of gratitude by turning our blessings back into praise. Because when you don't turn your, when the Lord blesses you and you don't turn those things back into praise, they turn into pride. Those things turn into pride. So we're going to do that. And we talked about loyalty, that it's proven, not proclaimed. Remember the story about Pee Wee Reese and Jackie Robinson where he threw his mitt down and he went and put his arm around him and he quieted the crowd, quieted the crowd, standing for his friend. He proved his loyalty to his friend. Proved it. Words are so cheap. Bumper stickers can be so cheap. <laughs> right? Prove it. Just prove it, you know. And Pee Wee Reese did that. We talked about all disloyalty is born out of a divided heart. And today, the topic for today, um, our forgotten moral strength that we're going to spend time on is integrity. Everybody say integrity. Integrity. Okay, good. I, I, um, I, this happened to me, and I heard someone else talking about it, so I thought I'd tell you this story too. About There was a time that I needed to have a suit cleaned, or, and I was talking about this friend who had needed to have a suit cleaned. And so he, he um, was in a hurry, he was going on a trip, he had spilled something, I don't know what the deal was, waited till the last minute. But there's a place across town, one hour dry cleaning. Goes over, takes the suit in, fills out the little deal, hands the suit and the little deal to the clerk and says, you know, I need my suit back in an hour. She says, well, you'll get it next Thursday. <laughs> but wait a minute, it's one hour cleaning. No, no, that's our name. It's not what we do. <laughs> that's just the name of the business. <laughs> it's like, okay. Why would I expect you to live up to what you proclaim to be? You know, it's like, um, that happened to me before, probably because I'm naive enough to believe that if they say one hour cleaning, they really mean it. Maybe there's one somewhere that means it. Maybe many, I don't know. But it just shocked me. You know, I mean, it, I, I, it, it just didn't make sense, whatever. How often does that happen? 
where something proclaims to be something on the outside, but they have no intention of ever living up to what they're proclaiming. Pretty common. In 2006, there was a, a study that was uh, one of many studies that was done, and, and, uh, and, and they surveyed um, 70,000 U.S. high school students and college students, and they, they said that um, 70% of them, 70% of them at that time admitted at some point that they cheated on their schoolwork. I don't know what cheating man, means. I mean, I mean, I can't quantify it for you. But 70% of them said, I've cheated on my schoolwork. Here's how that's changed. In 1993, that's 14% more than 1993, and it's 44% more than 1963. Um, a poll, another poll of 25,000 high school students found that half of them agreed with this statement. A person has to lie or cheat sometimes in order to succeed. Half of high schoolers agree with that and say that that's true. And I think you and I live in a world where sometimes we're more shocked with integrity, when integrity shows up, than when the lack of integrity. We kind of expect it now. Don't you agree? I mean, it's just, it's just, it's sad that we're there. Why is that? You know, on the news just about every day there, you hear something about somebody somewhere whose integrity really has been exposed. Um, you know, maybe it's a great athlete who's cheated somewhere. Like right now, the Tour de France is on. I don't know if any of you are bicycle f- fans. Yeah, okay. So are you watching it, Eric? Oh, me too. I've, I've watched both of them, and I, you know, sometimes I watch the early, anyway, so I watch the Tour de, de, de do not laugh at the Tour de France, that is serious business here. So, um, but they've had this scandal that's been going on now for over a decade of blood doping and all these things that they do to enhance their performance and what they can measure and what they can't measure, and so here's the deal. The guy that won last year, he had two positives on one of his tests on an off day last year, and they still haven't decided whether he's cheated. So they're going to decide this August whether he gets disqualified from the 2010 Tour de France. In the meanwhile, he's running in this one. Okay, so does that bring a cloud of question over the sport? I don't know. Okay, maybe it's a sports guy. Maybe it's a politician who said something and they didn't live up to it. That doesn't happen very often. (laughs) But it could, if you imagine, or maybe it's a Christian leader that um, stands and rails against homosexuality and then you find out there's something going on that shocks you and it makes national news. Or maybe it's a Christian leader that's been in the church where you sit and things just aren't the way they seem. And it happens, those kinds of things, they happen over and over again. They're just not the leaders who you think they are. They're just not the one-hour dry-cleaning people that you were hoping you find out, you know, sometimes it's not even these public figures. Maybe it's your close friend. Maybe it's your friend, and you didn't realize it. You golf together on Saturdays, and you hang together on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and you find out that on Wednesdays, he's having an affair and cheating on his wife, who happens to also be your friend. Or fill in the blank, and you go, Wow. What happened to integrity? What happened to the? What happened to it? Okay, so for, for our purposes, I want to define integrity and say that def- for us, integrity is when your behavior matches your beliefs. You believe something, so that's how you live. Okay, the word the word integrity um, actually we we have a, a there's a word the root word is integer. That's math. I, I'm not supposed to mention anything about math in a sermon because you all instantly go to sleep. So if I say the word math, you all go, 
when you're down. So I shouldn't tell you that it came from the word integer, but it means whole. An integer is a whole number. The word integrity means to be whole, to be complete. It's what you say that lines up with what you do. Your private life matches your public life. Your Monday life matches your Sunday life. You, what's what you do when nobody else is looking? That's integrity. It's different than your reputation. Your reputation is what other people think you are, and your integrity is who you really are. It's when your behavior lines up with your beliefs. That's integrity. Proverbs 11.3 says, The integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. I mean, wouldn't you, as you look around, wouldn't you kind of have to agree that there are segments of our society that are being fractured because of the duplicity of leaders? You know, they say one thing, they do something different, they claim this. And so now we're in a situation that's kind of shocking that we're, we're uh, more surprised by when we see integrity than when we don't. There are some pretty, pretty great biblical examples of integrity. I want my family to stand for integrity. We try to. I mean, I'm sure there are weaknesses and shortcomings, but we try. And you look at the Word of God, and there's some really terrific ones. One amazingly profound example is Samuel, First uh, Samuel 12. We're not going to go there now, but at this point, Samuel is, is in the gray-headed season of his life. He's, he's been the leader. He's done a lot of stuff. And... Um, and he's, he's nearing the end of his, his, his leadership there. And so he gathers all these people, and he says, okay, public statement. I want to know, have I wronged any of you? Have I cheated any of you? Have I accepted any bribes? Because if I've done those things publicly stated, I'm going to say to you, I want to fix it. I see people fanning. I don't know if the AC is on or doesn't sound like it. I don't know if anybody can push some buttons or pull some levers or open a window or a door or something. Um, so he says, have I accepted any bribes? Have I done you any wrong? Can, you know, Because if I have, I want to make it right. That's a remarkable thing for a national leader to do. Could you imagine our former presidents line up that are still alive? Okay, Jimmy Carter, George Bush the first, George Bush the second, Bill Clinton our present president, but we don't. So they're all at the end, they're gray-headed, and they say, hey, have I lied to anybody? <laughs> have I cheated any of you? Have I accepted any, have, you know, can you imagine, I'm not, this, I'm not trying to go political on you, I'm trying to make a point. This is a profound moment for a man like Samuel to stand in front and say, if I've done you wrong, I want to make it right. Here's the remarkable thing. They answer him back and they say, no, you haven't. You've been a man of integrity. Oh, I get chills going down my neck when I think about that. Way to go, Sam. Um, another one is, is David's talking to the Lord. And he asks the question, who can dwell in the sanctuary of the Lord? And we see this in our text, Psalm 15. You can follow along. Psalm 15, 1 through 5. Lord, who may dwell in your sanctuary? Who can walk in your continual presence? Who can walk in fellowship with you? Who's, who gets to hang out with you, God? Who may live on your holy hill? He whose walk is blameless and who does what is righteous, that's integrity. Who speaks the truth from his heart, that's integrity. Who has no slander on his tongue, integrity. Who does his neighbor no wrong and casts no slur on his fellow man, that's integrity. Who despises a vile man but honors those who fear the Lord, integrity. Who keeps his oath even when it hurts, that's integrity. Who lends his money without usury and does not accept a bribe against the innocent, that's integrity. He who does these things will never be shaken. 
You'll never be shaken when you live not only according to your beliefs, but more importantly, according to the beliefs and teachings of God, you will never be shaken. Okay, so here's, here are four quick benefits to a life of integrity. And there, there are more, but I'm just going to give you four big ones. One, you can walk closely with God. David asked the question, who gets to hang out with you, Lord? Who gets to actually hang out with God um, and, and enjoy fellowship with you, communion and ongoing? You know, here's, here's a way of looking at this. Okay, so I'm kind of like the leader in the Fisher clan. And so um, Lisa and I work through things and we figure out, okay, how do we want to live? What are our standards in our household? How are we going to try and teach our kids? It's an intentional, uh, proactive position we've taken. We've, we've learned to take over the lifetime of our family. And we say, okay, here's our values. So we try to impart them to our kids. We say, okay, here's what we do. Here's what we don't do. Here's with the Fisher way. Here's the, you know. And um, it, as best as we can, we want to live it and teach it to our kids. So they then can choose to adopt it and go, okay, we're actually going to try and tell the truth to each other. We're going to try and love each other. We're going to be sensitive to each other. We're going to do what we say we would. You know, the, the, the things that we try to do and to be. The character that, as parents, you want to teach your kids, right? Okay? That's one choice they can make. Or they could say, yeah, nice list, dad, nice list, mom, but we don't think so. We think we know better, so sorry, but we're going to come up with our own way. Which of those two pathways that they take do you think would increase intimacy? <laughs> it's obvious, you know, if they say, yeah, okay, we're going to buy into your value system, mom and dad. There is something of fellowship and intimacy and partnership that's different I mean, if they say to us, sorry, we're going to make our own way, we might still live together. And there were days when that happened, right? Listen, every parent, that's true, right? <laughs> every child, when you were a child, you know it was true of you too. But there were days when your kids say, I don't know so much about this one. I'm going to test this. Or I'm going to skate on this. I mean, that's part of life. But, but the truth is that when they, when, they're, when they make an underlying decision... I'm going to adopt your, your, these character values because I believe in them. You walk in a different kind of fellowship. So one benefit is you walk closely with God. And when you live according to his values, you're able to walk with him in fellowship from moment to moment. Second one, you'll have a built-in guide. I don't mean some sort of spiritual you know, Indian guide with a flashing thing. I don't mean to be... I mean, I'm not talking about a shamanistic kind of a teaching here. I'm talking about the fact that when you choose integrity, there is something that will help point you where you ought to go. You have a pre-built in... You know, people that form values on their own, they have to live in this kind of shifting sea of colors because it's not so clear what's right and what's wrong anymore. So one of the benefits of integrity, walking before integrity for the Lord, is you know what's right and what's wrong. Just choose it. Sometimes that's not so easy either. But your integrity guides you. Number three, you'll have a constant peace in your heart. Now, I, I like to pillow my head at, light, at nighttime and go to sleep. <laughs> okay? You too, right? You don't want to pillow your head at night and be thinking, oh man, if my boss finds out what I was saying about him at work today. Or you don't want to pillow your head at night and think, oh, if my husband finds out I'm flirting with this guy at work. I'm not talking about your privacy here. I'm talking about midnight, dark, middle of the night peace that when you pillow your head, you know that there's not something creeping up behind you that's going to expose you and cause all kinds of havoc in your life. 
You'll have a constant peace in your heart. Number four, you'll gain trust, respect, honor, and influence when you live a life of integrity. If you want to, uh, great children, be a parent of integrity. If you want to be a great leader in your family, be a man or a husband or a father of integrity. If you want influence in the business community, be a person who keeps his word. The word will get out about you. The problem with all this that I'm talking about is that many people just don't do it. What's the opposite of integrity? The, um, the Greek words about integrity. Well, let me back up a minute. Here's why I want to ask this question. What is it that the world says about the church? Their biggest complaint about us. Oh, they're a bunch of hypocrites. Whoever said that, you get an extra something. I don't know. <laughs> Not a hit or anything like that. But <laughs> Okay, they say we're a bunch of hypocrites. Hypocrites. Oh, the church is full of hypocrites. It's true. I'm not calling you all a bunch of hypocrites. I'm just saying it's a fact. We can't live up to all that the word tells us that we should. We try. I decided that um, I'd like the world not to say I'm a hypocrite. I'm going to try not to be one, um, but I'm not going to get bogged down when they make the accusation because it's a smear campaign too, right? It's just a smear campaign. But they make this comment, oh, they're just a bunch of hypocrites. The Greek word for hypocrite actually... uh, um, translates as a stage actor and or a pretender. You know, you've probably seen um, at least a depiction of Greek plays where you have an actor and they've got two faces on sticks, right? A happy face and a frowning face. And they hold up one face and they play the part and then they swap. I was going to do that because I thought, oh, that's a good, il- good, good illustration, but I just didn't get my homework done in time. So you get this instead. Sorry. Um, it's okay I'm in the kitchen I can stand the heat because I can dish it out too okay so um, you see this guy that's not ever what you see behind what's presented there's something different there it's a play actor it's a pretender I think we all have examples of this now I'm going to share one with share a story with you about hypocrisy Um, not one of mine about one of a, of a friend of mine who, um, and I was talking to Lisa about this sermon illustration, and uh, I, I get ashamed telling this story. I just get ashamed for my friend. This is an old story, and um, I don't mean to offend any of you. It might. Um, don't please, no, it shouldn't offend you. This is a true story about someone who really had a failure of hypocrisy in his life. And... Um, let me proceed this by saying that I love this guy and uh, something really black came out of his heart in the moments of this story. And it's decades ago that I'm thankful to say I've never seen a trace of it since then. I think he was taken to the Lord's loving um, place of correction <laughs> and the Lord pulled him through an eensy-weensy knothole and his heart came out completely better. But here's the story. This guy had a regular routine of meeting friends for um, coffee at a coffee shop. And they were at a coffee shop in um, Olympia, a bunch of them one day. And he, um, he's a Christian, would share his faith with people. He, he, he would share his faith with the workers in the restaurant and got to know the manager and so forth. And um, one day he was in a line of people waiting to check out and pay for his bill at the counter. It happened that the manager of this place was an African-American man. And... Um, my friend got up to um, 
to the front of the line and he made a statement. He was trying to share some information with the manager about something that he'd seen. He was trying to be helpful. It was good. But the manager was just harried. He was very busy. There was a lot going on. And this friend of mine turned around to the person in line behind him and he made this ugly statement. You can't tell a N-word anything. <laughs> in the meantime, the manager had finished what he was doing and had stepped up right behind him. Heard it. <laughs> there was no, there was nothing that could be said. Oh, I didn't mean it. I'm so sorry. All the stuff that he said. The, the manager, of course, was very gracious. Fast forward now a couple hours. I wasn't with the guy when it happened. He hunted me down. I need to talk to you. What? I can't tell you what I just said. And he tells me the story. He says, I'm not racist. I didn't mean it. I don't use that word. I, if you could see the look in his eyes. He went through everything. He was literally brokenhearted. And I'm a close friend. I love him. I'd never heard those things from him before. I don't really believe that about him. But here's what the Word of God says. It says, it's not what goes into your mouth that defiles you. Because what goes into your mouth passes through and goes away. I'm being generous there in my description. (laughs) But what comes from your mouth has come from your heart. And I said, friend, I love you. But there is something black in your heart. And it's got to get dealt with. Because that came out of your heart. We cried together. It was heartbreaking. I don't think there was any recovery for him because he, he had a little bit of a friendship with this manager and it was destroyed there. <sighs> Hypocrisy, we've all got them. I'm so glad that story wasn't about me. I'm sure there are stories like that about me. <laughs> I couldn't, I mean, what a cop-out to tell on my friend in service. None of you will ever be my friends now, I know. <laughs> the truth is, I watched this, this friend of mine really have his heart shapened and softened when that hypocrisy was confronted lovingly by the Lord. We've all got it in us. And um, here's something really interesting, though. When you just take a step back and you look at all the stories going on in the Scripture and all the things and the confrontations that Jesus had with different people over different things, he was way harder on the hypocrisy than he was on adultery and all the other stuff, all the other sins. He's way, way, way harder on hypocrisy. You take a look at it. Matthew 23 has got an example of it. Jesus is talking to a bunch of hypocrites who were religious leaders, and he says this. He says, woe to you. Woe to you. But Jesus is saying, whoa, you're in so much trouble. You have no idea how bad this is going to be for you. He's proclaiming judgment on them. He says, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You play actors, you pretenders. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. You, you're putting on a great game face, but down inside of you, you're just a filthy, filthy bowl. You look religious, you show it on the outside. Blind Pharisee, you don't even see, you can't even see it with your own eyes. First clean the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside also will be clean. In other words, integrity starts on the inside and works its way out to the surface. It isn't what you can paint on the outside that will make the inside clean. Verse 28, in the same way on the outside you appear um, to people as religious, but on the inside you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Woe to you. It's so easy to do. 
though. It is so easy just to paint on something. So here's the question I would ask of you. This is rhetorical. <laughs> and I ask this of my, myself. If you take a look at your life, the things you do with your life, what is your integrity worth? What's the actual worth? Okay. Here's what I mean by that. I'll ask a couple of questions. If you are filling out a resume to get a job, do you tell the truth or do you add some things? Do you embellish to make yourself look better to get the job? Because if you do that, the amount of money you'd earn by getting that job instead of what you get without the embellishments, that's how much your integrity is worth. <laughs> okay. Or let's say, um, okay, let's, you know, let's just make this really minuscule. Min- you swipe a paper clip from the office then your integrity is worth the price of a paperclip. <laughs> okay, forget that. Okay. Maybe you're married and your expenses are kind of tight and you have an understanding, but you see this really, really cool dress and you just can't let it go. So you buy it. You take it home and you stash it. One month, two months, three months, four months. You decide, okay, enough time's passed. So you wear it. Your husband goes, wow, new dress. Way to go for noticing the dress, guys. Wow, new dress. And the answer is, no, I've had this thing for months. <laughs> now, I'm not making a suggestion of what you should do, okay? <laughs> okay, anyway, okay. Or maybe you're in a trade where you make up bills and you bill your clients and you overbill just a little bit. I mean, those are the differences. Those are your setting, you're now setting the value on your integrity when you do those things. There's a guy in the Old Testament named Job. Hard book to read because it's sad stuff going on. And um, here's, here's the backstory on Job. But he would say, my integrity is worth everything to me. Okay, that's what he would say. But here's the backstory: Satan is up in heaven just complaining to God about all the people. These people are worthless. None of them love you. The only reason they give you any honor is because of the stuff you give them. There's not anybody out there. And, and God says, hold up a minute. That's not true. Have you considered... Job, Job is righteous. You know, he's, he's good. I'm paraphrasing here, by the way, as you might be able to notice. He says, no, he, he, says, he, says, he says, okay, well, let's test him. Let's take away all the goodies and see if he stays that way. I mean, Satan's, he's doing that today, by the way. He's up there accusing you and me and saying, okay, the only reason is because this, 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 and this. Take it away and see if they stay faithful. And God's saying, hold up. You don't get to do that. You don't get to do that. But he wants to sift us. He wants to sift us. And here's the deal. Satan does those things. He starts pulling those things away. That's not God pulling them away. God's saying, you know what? I trust Job. Job's character is going to withstand this. He's my man. He walks with me, and I got his eternity plan. God's fine. By the way, it might seem like it was unloving of God to allow Satan the permission that he granted him. I don't have the answer to that, except that, except that I hear some things that I do know to be true. The eternal, the long-lasting, those are the things that are important to God. The temporal, he will carry you through. He will carry you through what you face today. And he has the long-term in mind. And it's good. It's really good. Okay, so Satan does all this rip-off stuff. But here's what goes on now around people in Job's life. His wife says to him, Why are you hanging on to your integrity? Curse God and die. He says, Nope, I'm not going to do that. His friends, it gets, you know, I've, I don't know how it could get worse than that from having hearing that from his wife, but it does. It gets to his friends, and they say, you know, 
you had to have done something wrong, otherwise all these bad things wouldn't have happened to you. Have you ever heard anybody say that to you? Oh, man, that is so not God. Well, you must have sin in your life or you wouldn't have this going on. That is not God. Don't ever say that to somebody, okay? I know you wouldn't have, but I just have to hear myself say it. It's, it's just the, the people around Job are saying that, but here's what Job says. Here's what he says in, 20, in, in chapter 27, verses 5 and 6. I will not deny my integrity. I will maintain my righteousness and never let go of it. My conscience will not reproach me as long as I live. My integrity is worth everything. You can take away everything from me, and it will never take away from my right to choose to follow the Lord and to trust him. So what's your integrity worth to you today? You know, I, I think kids, you know, growing up kids, they think that the world revolves around them, Right? You know this about children? Little kids, some of us never grow, get rid of this thing, but we think the world revolves around us. In fact, they think that when they've done something wrong, if they just tell a lie about it, that fixes it because when they t- proclaim it, the world will revolve around what they say. Right? I'm thinking Beaver Cleaver here. You know who Beaver Cleaver is? I'm Beaver Cleaver. You don't know who Beaver Cleaver is, do you? Yeah. Okay. So I think back when... Um, when I was doing those beaver cleaver things, when I was doing the things that kids do, and I would know I was not supposed to do it, and I'd do it anyway, and my dad, bless his heart, <laughs> you know, I would be caught in my circumstances. So what happened? Well, the, the thing I did I shouldn't have done finally comes out. And my dad cared about that, and he wanted to address that, but that was not where we were going to end this discussion. But you lied. You didn't tell the truth. That always was a way bigger deal with my dad than the this. For the obvious reasons. He always cared about this one way more than that one. In fact, I learned that it's just way better to fess up and take your lumps for what you've chosen that you shouldn't have done than to try and cover it and lie about it. Because he made the price for the lie so much more unworth it than just the price of the offense that I would rather take my lumps for that than even consider taking lumps for lying. I mean, I think, see, some, some of you nodding your head You know, basically he said, if you have integrity, that's all that matters. If you don't have integrity, then that's all that matters. I heard that from him so many times. You know, so fast forward for Terry, the point where I got to make a decision to throw my lot in with Jesus or not, okay? I'm, I'm in a huge church on Easter Sunday. I go because my parents ask me to go out of respect and honor to my parents. I say, yes, I will go with you. I'm a senior in high school. Church is huge, a couple thousand people. It's Easter. People pushed on the rafters. The guy down front's telling, there's nobody else in the room but him, me, and God, and God is speaking directly to me. You know, it's one of those things I'm talking about. You know, you've been there before, right? So he's basically describing the true state of my heart, my need for God, gives an opportunity for salvation, and does the routine. I'm way up in the back, in the balcony. Oh, I'm up in the balcony in the back. Second row. And this preacher says, if you realize this is true about you and you care about your eternity, open your heart to Jesus. You have to decide to do this or your eternity rests with your decision. 
And he looks at me and says, if that's what you're deciding right now, raise your hand. Now, my inward integrity, he's down there saying, every eye is closed. Raise your hand. This is between you and God. <laughs> and I'm thinking, okay, between me and God, up it goes. And, you know, of course, he's saying it for a while because people just have to, they need, sometimes they just need a, a, an encouragement to, to, to drive down a stake and say, okay, I'm making this decision. It's a good one. So my hand's been up for a little bit, and I said, peak. In this crowded room, all these people are facing forward, except a little boy who is sitting right straight in front of me. And he's like this. <laughs> and his eyes are this big. He sees my hand like this. God put that little guy there. I don't even know if he's a real person. Could have been an angel. I don't know. But he was there. Pastor says, service goes on. He says, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. If you meant what you said when you raised your hand, come down here and let us pray with you. Now, I don't believe you have to go to an altar to get saved. But I believe it's a good thing to do. I believe that for some temperament, for people with certain temperaments and certain times in their lives, it's good to them to say, yeah, I did. I turned over something and I became a different person. On this day, I opened my heart to the Lord. I, I think that's a good thing. I think that's a good thing. Nevertheless, he says, if you mean it, if you meant what you said, get down here. Now, I'm up in the, I'm a high school age kid. I'm in a crowded room. The room's crowded full of other kids who go to my high school and I knew how they lived because I knew how I lived, and I, I knew the kinds of things we did together, and I knew how embarrassing it was going to be for me to do this. I wasn't going to go. And this little boy spun around in his seat. <laughs> What's it going to be? It, it was written on his face. <laughs> it was. And what was resting there was, if you have integrity, that's all that matters. And if you don't have integrity, that's all that matters. And the Holy Spirit knew that my strong-willed temperament, this guy, <laughs> would not let that little boy, he didn't know, down. I couldn't let that little boy down. It's really what this little boy needed to not, not let be let down. I needed to go because of integrity. So what do you do when you realize that maybe you lack some integrity? Maybe you look at things and you say, yeah, I'm a Christian, just, I just lie habitually, or I just... You know, fill in the blanks. What do you do when you recognize you lack it? Okay, here's a couple of things we can do. One, number one, get to know Jesus. Truly get to know him. I'm not talking about intellectual understanding of who he is and studying and hanging out with other people who seem to walk with him. I'm saying get to know him personally. If you find that you have a real problem with integrity in your life, maybe you don't know him like you ought because I really believe you can never live a life of true integrity on your own. You know, we're bent towards sin. We're bent that way. We come out of the womb bent that way. The world revolves around us. Whatever we say is the truth. You know, we're bent that way. We can't live in... And so you have to get to know him personally. And then the, the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit will enable you and guide you and help you to become a person of more integrity tomorrow than you were today and to do what's right. Get to know Jesus live through him. Number two... If you haven't been a person of integrity and the Holy Spirit will show you some times and places where you need to go to somebody 
to repent to them and apologize, to ask their forgiveness. You say, you know what, I, I'm really sorry and I've, this hasn't been right and I'm, I'm, I'm telling you this to hold myself accountable and because I owe you an apology. Now, that's a broad blanket statement. Don't all of you rush home and um, you, need to, you need the counsel of the Holy Spirit to help you to be wise about this. Also understand this. When you make this decision and you go to someone who you may not have been as truthful with as you've been, their first reaction is going to be broken trust. You have to allow for the fact that you'll have to rebuild your trust. Okay? And I, that's a whole sermon in itself. I don't want to go there, but... Um, okay. Number three. Hold to integrity within your heart no matter what the people around you say or believe about you. Here's another quick story. I've told a lot of stories. I'm gonna, I need to get this one quickly to you. I was in high school, 16, had just got my driver's license. And uh, was driving around Olympia. I had a, had a car, and it was rainy, nighttime, rainy. It rain, rains around here. So it was raining in Olympia, and it was winter season, and um, I was driving down Conger, which is up by Jefferson Junior High School. You might not know the area, but it's, it was dark. Two-lane road at the time. And there, were, <clears throat> there was uh, volleyball or basketball or something going on in the gym at Jefferson Junior High School. It was nighttime, so it was dark, but the, you could see into the windows there. And there's this funny feature at Jefferson At the time, there was a little tiny parking lot in front off of Conger where you could drive in one side, park, 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 and then pull back out. But down a little bit further from that, there was a big, wide sidewalk without a curb that went down to the doors of the gymnasium. And if you weren't really paying attention, you might mistake one driveway for the sidewalk. Okay, so, so I'm driving down Conger, and I'm stopping in there because I'm going to go in and play. It's raining. The streets are shiny. I was a legitimate mistake I made. I turned in on the sidewalk instead of into the driveway. Over the lip of the hill and down, by the time I realized I was on the sidewalk and not on the driveway, I had already started to turn into the, what I thought was the parking area. And by the time I realized it, I was now in the grass. The rainy season grass in front of a junior high school. Do you ever heard of a lawn job? Okay. <laughs> okay. It's always been a problem, and they continue to be a problem. This is vandalism. Somebody drives across the grass and messes up the grass. I wasn't trying to do it. But I'm, I, I swear, the minute my last tire went off that sidewalk into that grass, I was high-centered. My car was sunk into the grass. You know, I'm not going anywhere. So I stopped the car and I went in and tried to go inside and find out who was in authority. And I had to say, hey, my car's stuck. It was an accident. Do you think they believe me? Are you kidding? No. No, a 16-year-old kid, they didn't know me from Adam, except my car was stuck and the, there was always lawn jobs going on at schools. This is vandalism. It's just with vandalism, pranksterism or whatever. They read me the riot. It didn't matter what I said or how much I protested. They were absolutely certain that I had decided to do a lawn job and I got caught like I deserved it. And they were pouring it on. (laughs) Um, It was hard. It was hard knowing my innocent heart, except I actually did drive my car into their grass. I'm very willing to make it right. I was very willing to do the right thing. But the people in authority were convinced I had done it intentionally. It was really, really hard. I had to decide in my soul at those moments, I don't care what these people believe about me. I know I didn't do it. I'll take the lumps. I'll take the impression. I'll fix the grass come spring. I did all those things. But I decided I wasn't going to let them define for me my integrity because of what they believed. I knew it to be better than that. 
You have to do that. You've got to hold to your integrity, regardless of what people around you tell you or what they believe you about you. As it forms up in you, as it becomes ironwork that will support real weight, you have to believe it. You have to believe it. Then number four, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Uh, Matthew 5.37, Jesus says, become a person of your word. He'll live through you. Because when you do live with integrity, you're going to be able to walk with God. You'll have a guide. You'll have peace. And you'll have the honor, trust, and respect of people around you. That's where we have to start. So if we have integrity... That's all that matters. If we don't have integrity, that's all that matters. If you don't have integrity, don't kid yourself. You're not going to have a great marriage. You're not going to be able to produce great kids. You're not going to be a good friend. You're not going to have peace. If you don't have integrity, you're not going to have those things. And it's heartbreaking. I want to stop and pray, but I think it's heartbreaking that the world is more shocked when it sees integrity than when it sees a lack of integrity. I want to pray this over you. And um, so would you just close your eyes and agree with me? And... um, Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you, God, for a sweet and tender visit of your spirit today for people. Not so much by way of the the preaching, but, Lord, by the plans that your spirit had to touch and to minister wholeness to people. God, I pray that the things we've talked about today, the things we've sung about, the things we've prayed about would translate themselves into, into life, that our souls would not walk out of this place discouraged or empty but instead there would be something burning in there that's good that provides warmth that provides guidance and light and direction Lord um, on the the topic of integrity would you just speak to us the little even if they're little areas to our in our hearts that you just would like to say you know what Terry let's get this squared away lovingly together you and I'll do this would you just speak those kinds of things to our hearts Lord the things in our, in our lives that you just would, would love to see us gain victory over. I just pray, too, that uh, no one here would view this as an insurmountable mountain, that the, somehow they've dug a hole so deep that there's no rope long enough for God to pull them out with. Instead, if that's how you feel, let your faith rise and know, and know that God has you right where he wants you at a place where you need to depend upon him and that he's faithful and capable and just and loving. If you find you live a life lacking integrity and you feel alone knowing how to get it fixed, I really would say to you, church, while you're praying, get to know the Lord personally. If you've never opened your heart to him, here's what it means. The word of God teaches that all of us sin. We all fall short. We all somehow find that we can't be good enough. But God loves us so much that he came up with a plan, and that was to send his son Jesus to make a way for us in spite of our failure. His name was Jesus. He came, he loved, he taught, but more than that, he demonstrated that he was actually God and that he actually had the power over death, over the grave. What better source can you have for saying, okay, there are the answers to to life and to eternity. Word of God says that if you believe with your heart that he came and he rose from the grave and you confess with your mouth, it says you'll be saved. All who call on the name of the Lord will be saved, the word says. If you've never opened your heart to the Lord, you need to do it. That's what I was describing when I said I raised my hand. If you've never opened your heart to the Lord, you need to truly know him. I just would say, is there anyone here that wants to do that? Look up at me.
just want to agree with you in prayer. Okay, all the church look at me this time. Okay? Please, share the gospel with people. Share the gospel. When you walk with integrity, you will become influential at work and with your friends playing canasta. Do we play canasta anymore? Is there such a thing? Okay. You'll become influential and you will have the right and the ability to speak into the life something of hope. Share the gospel, the good news with them. Would you do that, church? Okay. And then get them to come to church, not necessarily to grow this church, but get them to come someplace where they can regularly worship and hear and learn the word of God. Way to go, by the way, for being here. I commend you all for doing that. Would you stand to your feet?